Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ, this is Nerdette. Hey, uh, yeah, in case you haven't noticed, uh, this is not Greta Johnson. I'm Jill Hopkins, and I host Jill Afternoons on WBEZ's sister station, Vocalo Radio. Greta is out this week, so hey, I'm filling in. But don't get sad. She'll be back later this same episode to chat with graphic novelist Alison Bechtel about her newest book. Really, this book is about, is, is the self that we think of as ourselves a real thing? Is it is it helpful? Can we transcend it? Can we get beyond it? And how do we do that? <laughs> so that's my quest. In the meantime, though, it's Friday. Whoop, whoop. And we have a great panel here to talk about the week that was. Joining us are the hosts of ICYMI. It's a new internet culture podcast from Slate that I've become obsessed with. Rachel Hampton and Madison Malone-Kircher. Welcome to Nerdette. Hey. Hello. So excited to be here. Let's start off with some real news. Let's start off with a quick COVID roundup. Uh, First off, India has seen a record-breaking rise in new cases this month. Daily new infections there surged past the 350,000 mark on Wednesday. Closer to home, the New York Times reported that about 8% of Americans who received the first dose of Moderna or Pfizer COVID vaccine did not get their second. And on Tuesday, the CDC relaxed its masking guidelines for vaccinated people. Those who are fully vaccinated can now go maskless outdoors and in certain small indoor gatherings. So uh, that's maybe a bright spot in this mixed bag of news. Or is it? I don't know, Madison. I mean, I took a just glorious afternoon walk in Brooklyn the day the CDC put that infographic out with the, you know, smiling, unmasked face of a vaccinated person in the like, go for a walk column. And boy, did it feel good. Rachel, did you get to to enjoy the great outdoors? I did. I did. I will say um, allergy season is very much here and the masks have been somewhat helping with that. But what's really kind of interesting about the relaxing of the guidelines is it seems like such good news, but the way it's been received online is... <laughs> Not in the way you would expect. (laughs) Our colleague Shannon Palace wrote an article about this last week, and she got so much hate for it. People were saying, you have blood on your hands if you're telling people to stop wearing masks outside. It was, I think people are expressing their anxiety in a very interesting way online in regards to masks. Yeah, she had to have somebody take over her Twitter for her. Like the vitriol just became too great. I think that's what's really funny about the reaction on Twitter from so many people. And and mind you, a lot of a lot of the concern, I think, is over wanting to to tell your neighbors and the people you see in a day to day basis. Like, I still care about this pandemic, but it's been very funny to see people who all along have been like, trust the science, listen to the doctors are now like, well, the doctors say this, but I'm a tweet that. Yeah, And it creates <laughs> a, a gray area, right? There's, uh, you know, questions about personal boundaries, about the respect for other people around what's appropriate 
to do. How are you setting your your own boundaries, Rachel? I mean, I definitely think it's about making sure people around you are as comfortable as possible while not kind of giving up like your own personal comfort. Like I think if you're just walking through the streets and you're not necessarily going to be in a crowded area, which is kind of tricky in a kind of major populated area like Brooklyn, you sh- you can probably wear a mask when you're just walking down the street. But if you're, I don't know, standing in line to like go into a pharmacy or something, I would probably put on a mask. Um, but I think this pandemic has all been about negotiating boundaries with people you n- normally wouldn't have. I think we're better at doing it in intimate relationships but with our friends it's kind of just unspoken and now we're just having to negotiate yet another boundary madison are you hanging out in Tompkins square park (laughs) (laughs) no not not at all i think you know my my mentality in reading the new guidelines was like okay these are the people that i am putting my trust and faith in but also in any group setting i'm in sort of i think i tip my hat to the the most concerned or anxious person in the group and like the strictest ask is the one i acquiesce to right so you know i'm having a small dinner party with two other vaccinated people in you know two weeks and one of them was like you know i'd still really feel better if we like opened all the windows and it's like great i can do that yeah asking a lot right <laughs> yeah <laughs> The ultimate ass. (laughs) Another big story this week is that somehow we've already hit 100 days of living in Joe Biden's America. So far, the president has passed a $1.9 trillion stimulus bill. He's overseen the rollout of a mass vaccination campaign. And most notably, he's never gone viral for late night shitposting. Hey, how about that? On Wednesday... He gave his first presidential address to the joint session of Congress in which he championed another multi-trillion dollar spending package and spoke pretty optimistically about America's future. Did this milestone sneak up on you like it snuck up on us, Madison? I it has not been 100 days since January, whatever the, the day of Ella M. Hoff's good coat. It just has not been 100 days. We're used to living in like the dog years of Trump days. <laughs> It's just there's been no scandals. There's been, I mean, besides Biden's dogs potentially getting sent home from school, I guess, there has just been nothing to, I guess, mark these hundred days beyond actual governance happening, like a mass, massive vaccine rollout happening, things that are actually affecting our lives on the ground. But there, there's been no Twitter thread to point to. And I think that's since we're all living online it kind of just went by in that really easy, breezy way that we all kind of hope for. The only way I have marked time in this administration is just the the never-ending parade of those photos they keep posting on Instagram of like Vice President Harris and President Biden like w- walking oh, dramatically. Walking yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Who is taking those? Whose strategy was that? I have questions. <laughs> Why are there so many? I just who's the social media person? <laughs> I I really am appreciative of this kind of mundane presidency. It, it it reminds me of my youth when I didn't know what politics was. I appreciate not getting an alert on my phone in the middle of the night. Uh, I just I like not having to to worry about this whole thing. I can't tell if it's the Zoloft or if it's the Biden. Why am I sleeping better? <laughs> I. I want to uh, get into a topic that you two have 
recently discussed on your podcast, the end, the end of an era, Yahoo Answers is being wiped from the internet on May 4th. As I said, you covered this on your show this week. Who wants to set this story up? I can go for it. Hit it. So, <laughs> I mean, Yahoo Answers, I feel like, is something most people have a passing familiarity with, but it's kind of a very simple model in that people would ask questions and random people would answer. And there was this very human element to it that doesn't exist necessarily in a lot of question forums like Quora or Wiki Answers. And so it started in 2005. There were no moderators for its entire history, (laughs) which means that you got some really bad stuff like you would in any community that is not moderated on the internet. And so Yahoo decided decided to completely shut down the website. You can't add any new questions. And on May 4th, the entire back catalog archive of these questions is going to be completely wiped from the internet, which is kind of a huge loss to internet history in that a lot of the questions were absolutely wild, just people who should be seeing a doctor (laughs) and not asking a random person on the internet. But a lot of it was kind of the id of the internet in that it was this unfiltered look at what people wanted to know. The week of the Derek Chauvin trial, the questions were all like right-wing kind of conspiracy theories about that trial, which you don't necessarily, it's not something you want to support, but also shouldn't necessarily be completely wiped from the internet. Yeah. Yeah, it, you you likened it to the the burning of the Alexandria Library. <laughs> Never one to be dramatic, are we on this podcast? <laughs> I'm looking at the front page right now of Yahoo Answers, and it's kind of in my brain. Boys to men, it's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday is happening. It's so hard. People are really in their feelings about this. The end of it all, why a politics style? I just want to say goodbye to everyone. Uh, and, you know, just folks are really deeply personally connected to this thing. Why do you think that is? I think it was one of, you know, an early an early forum to create community without rules or regulations. You know, Yahoo Answer started in 2005. Like, think back to what the Internet was like in 2005. Mm. You know, now it's so easy to go online and find like a niche community of people who are all into the same like variety of pothos plant that you're into. I'm like really showing my, (laughs) my ass here. Uh, That's, that's my brand of internet. Uh, But back then that was harder to do. And so having this, this open, this open forum where you could literally ask anything and then maybe somebody would crawl out of the woodwork with a very specific answer to your question about woodworking. And you've got a, you've got a friend, you've got a community. Yeah. And it's provided so many memes. You spoke to uh, the gentleman behind the How Babby is Formed uh, (laughs) video. And that is just pure joy. Am I pregnant? Am I pregnant? Am I pargant? Am I gregnant? Am I pegnate? (laughs) I I wonder if any of those people were pregnant. I have to believe at least one of them was, in fact, pregnant, pregante, (laughs) porgnat. Or on their way to becoming. (laughs) 
do you think it'll be archived somewhere that we can, you know, the Library of Congress? Like, what can what can we do? <laughs> I'm sure there are people who are kind of individually trying to save pages. I just don't know where you'll go to find all of it in one place in the way that you could just go to Yahoo Answers homepage and find people asking whether or not they should be shooting up Lysol to cure COVID, you know? <laughs> Why can't they just go to WebMD and find out that they have butt cancer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, go to WebMD like the rest of us and find out you have colon cancer. It's <laughs> Like, I just had a headache. <laughs> Madison, Rachel, thank you so, so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Coming up, Greta Johnson checks in with Alison Bechtel about her new graphic novel, The Secret to Superhuman Strength. Next guest is Alison Bechdel. Yes, that Alison Bechdel. She wrote the graphic novel Fun Home. She drew the weekly comic Dykes to Watch Out For, which is the origin of the infamous Bechdel test. Her newest graphic novel is called The Secret to Superhuman Strength, and she is with us now. Alison, welcome to Nerdette. Hey, Greta. I'm very happy to be here. Oh my gosh, so thrilled to have you. So I feel like this is a really interesting book because, I mean, the the pitch at least the straightforward pitch is that it's about your relationship with exercise. It's a memoir. But I I mean, obviously, it's so much more than that. I wanted to start with something that you wrote in the book early on because I thought it was really important. You said, given the extremity of our situation, you might well ask what another book about fitness by a white lady could possibly be. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure that was like your own self-doubt speaking at some point of this process, right? At what point were you like, no, this is actually a book that does need to exist in the world? Um, well, (laughs) I do think it's still somewhat of a valid question. I mean, do we really need to hear more white people talking about their fitness lives? But I I, I feel like I am talking about more than just physical fitness. You know, I'm talking about more than just working out or what the latest leggings from Lululemon look like. (laughs) Um, But I do feel like I'm writing about not just physical fitness, but something there's something metaphysical that I'm trying to get at here. And that, and that exercise for me is a, is one of the ways into that feeling. Yeah. I mean, it seems to me that what you're really talking about in this book is, is like, is seeking truth with a capital T. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's sort of a big question book. I guess I've, I've reached that stage of my life where I'm starting to really wonder what it's all about. I feel like exercise too has been for me a way to kind of reconcile my mind and my body. And I'm just a very cerebral person and my mind is always sort of getting in my way, I think. And exercise is a way of getting into your body and really understanding that your your body and your mind are not separate things at all, but are part of some strange, mysterious unity. And that's the thing I'm in quest of in this book, that feeling of union. And yeah, do you think it's fair to say that feeling of union is essentially what you're characterizing as the idea of superhuman strength? Wow, Greta, that's awesome. I honestly, yes. <laughs> yes, you put your finger right on it. I mean, it it seems to me like so much of what you're exploring throughout your life is 
is kind of learning how to get out of your own way. Yes. As I look over the span of my life, these 60 years so far, I feel like in in many ways, I've just been trying to get back to a a state I was in as a, as a child, you know, before I became so self-aware and self-conscious when I was able to just be in the world and just, um, just draw. (laughs) I, I, I'm on this like never ending quest to get back to that joyous, free, spontaneous creativity of my childhood. Yeah. And as you grow up, you talk about how you see all sorts of different, I mean, you see exercise kind of become a thing for the first time and all these different fads come and go. And you tried running and skiing and biking and yoga and karate and weightlifting, just to name a few. Why? Well, I really enjoy this stuff. It's, uh, I know lots of people don't, and I hope that people who don't like exercise will still read this book because it's not, it's not really about exercise. I want to tell them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have just found those things really soothing a way, you know, a way of like dispersing my excess energy, but also like an avenue to a really wonderful feeling, this feeling of getting outside of my own self. That's the feeling I get with a good workout. Yeah. I mean, I think one way that you talk about it in the book is kind of the idea that the self disappears when you're most at peace with it. Yes. Yeah. I love the feeling of myself disappearing. (laughs) I'm also very attached to myself. So it's a tension that I'm, I'm dealing with over the whole course of my life. But really, this book is about is is the self that we think of as ourselves a real thing? Is it is it helpful? Can we transcend it? Can we get beyond it? And how do we do that? <laughs> so yeah. that's my quest. And as a result, I mean, you're learning a lot of you, you convey a lot of really beautiful lessons that you learned through exercise throughout your life. I think about when you talk about um, getting really good at skiing. And, and you you realized that at one point that the fact that you weren't falling anymore was actually a problem because it meant that you had stopped taking risks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I forced myself at that point to fall, which was really scary to do. <laughs> I knew I had to really do it, like to really get up ahead of steam, full tilt down the hill and let myself fuck up, let myself hit <laughs> the ground. And when I did that, it was instantaneously freeing. And, you know, I wrote, I I think the reason I was able to do that, the reason that I put that together at age 15 or 16, whenever that happened, was because of this really vivid experience, which I write about in the book of (laughs) almost killing my entire family by going too fast around a curve and just losing control of the car and going into a 180 and ending up on the other side of the road. It was crazy. But my dad, instead of like freaking out, he just got out of the car and I traded places with him. He'd let me drive. And then obviously he was telling me I couldn't drive anymore. But soon after that, we drove about another 10 miles and he pulled over again. And without saying anything, it became very clear to me that now I had to get back in the driver's seat. Um, Mm -hmm. And that feeling of, of my father continuing to have faith in me after making that very bad mistake was really foundational and helped me to make all kinds of scary leaps and take risks in my life. That's really beautiful. So yeah, as I mentioned, you've 
I don't I mean, you've kind of tried everything. If if someone were like vaguely curious about about exercise as a way to sort of get out of their heads and be in their bodies and experience something greater than themselves, what would you recommend? Well, I'm a little reluctant to prescribe anything in particular, but I do think everybody needs to move their body in some way or another. It's just like, you know, even if you can only move some parts of your body, you have to, you've got to move them. So I would say whatever feels good to you. I like the idea too. I'm going to add on to that if you don't mind, which is to try something that does put you a little bit outside of your comfort zone. And I'm not saying to intentionally fall while skiing down a mountain <laughs> by any means, but I don't know, like I took, took this hip hop dance class a couple of years ago now. Uh-huh. And it was like, it's just not, you know, like I don't really, I'm not a dancer person, but it was so much fun and so hard. And like, I felt weird about it and I knew I wasn't great at it, but like, the way I had to sort of like get my brain coordinated with the movements and the timing and the uh-huh. music and everything, it was just a really rewarding experience. Wow, that sounds great. But you know what? A dance class sounds absolutely terrifying to me, which means I should probably try it somehow. Really? Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, That's you don't so have scary. to do hip hop, but yeah, I mean, it, it is scary, but it's also like that great scary, right? Yes, yes, yes. There's liberation and moving through fear. Oh my gosh. Allison, have I just inspired you to take a dance class? Oh my god. If you do, will you can we like do another interview and talk about how it went? Yes. Oh, I would love that. <laughs> oh my god. Just think about it. Okay, I will. No, I, I'm very drawn to it. It sounds like a great risk. I mean, yeah, you got nothing to lose, right? Except my pride. Oh that. Yes. <laughs> Oh, Allison, it really has been such a pleasure to spend some time with you. Likewise. Thank you, Greta. That's it for today. Thank you all for tuning in. This was so much fun. Greta will be back next week, and I'm sure you'll hear me back on NerdEd soon. But in the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at Jill Hopkins. There's a lot of Jill Hopkins out there. I was just the first one to get it. This episode was produced by me, Greta Johnson, and Isabel Carter. Our executive producer is Brendan Banizak. I'll see you all later. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.